Hello and welcome to another episode of Collective Conversations. I'm your host, Mike Brewer, and I'm extremely excited about today's episode. We have our first repeat guest, Dom Beveridge. Dom Beveridge is the founder and principal for 20 for 20. He has more than 20 years experience in leadership and consulting roles in technology and analytics, sales and marketing. He has 10 years of multifamily experience, most recently as the principal of D2 Demand Solutions, where I think he is still a member and participating. <laughs> uh, wearing a lot of hats these days, Dom. Um, and previously in various roles with the Rainmaker Group, uh, you probably know that as LRO and through the company's sale to RealPage uh, Incorporated. In his pre-multifamily days, Dom uh, was a strategy consultant for Capgemini, I hope I pronounced that correctly, and Ernst & Young after spending much of his early days, uh, early career rather, designing and implementing revenue management systems and consulting projects with Talus Solutions, which as I understand it was the very, very early inventor of LRO, uh, Manugistics and JDA Software. Dom, welcome back to the show. Thank you for having me, it's a pleasure. Awesome, you have a new background. I I have to believe that that is the new uh, house. It is the new house, yeah, we've been in for about six months. We uh, we uh, we started to build it after the pandemic had started. So um, the, uh, the the Zoom backdrop became a, a feature in the office of our, of our house because it was already clear that that was important. So uh, yeah, this is where we keep our books now. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Yeah, before we hit record, I'm uh, I was admiring your library. So <laughs> and I always admire yours. It's uh, it's great. <laughs> super super fun well dom i uh so you just released i think yesterday right the latest edition fourth edition of the 20 for 20 uh which i find to be a, an incredibly fascinating document every time you put it out i've learned something new especially as it relates to trends that are happening in the multifamily space especially or specifically around the implementation of uh technology against uh, multifamily problems uh i think real relevant and germane problems to our industry um so i'm excited to dig into that if you're uh, up for it absolutely all right so maybe we start by going back to the origin of 2020 and you could spend a, maybe a brief moment just describing you know what was it that caused 20 for 20 to be born into the world and maybe talk about the evolution of it over the last four uh, installments yeah, so it started. Uh, so this is the fourth edition that we just uh, we just released. Um, started uh, uh, obviously four years ago. So back in twenty eighteen, it's funny the, we didn't really intend to to do something like this. But uh, you know, I just started working with D two with Donald Davidoff. We were we were getting ready to go to Optech, um, and uh, we just uh, we, were, we were on a call one day. We just what, what what should we talk to people about when we're there? You know, just just. Uh, and, and we just came up with this idea of, well, people are being pitched. All the people we want to speak to are being pitched technology all week. So why don't we do kind of do the opposite? Why don't we say we'd love to ask you a few questions just about what's on your mind, what you're what you're working on, what you're planning to do, um, and we'll turn whatever what, whatever information we get into some white paper or something. So, and in fact, you may have been the first ever interviewee. I remember the first time I met you was that optech where we sat down and went through the uh, I went through the interview um, process. You were definitely one of the early interviews interviewees for it. And what what we found was after we after we'd interviewed a bunch of people at optech, we thought, okay, this is this is like super interesting what people are telling us. Why don't we? Why, why don't we round it out with, um, you know, what, what you know, I, I think it was probably technology skewed. So it's like, why don't we just 
rounded up to like 10 technology leaders and 10 COOs. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, that can be its thing. It's 20 people and it's, uh, it's about 20, uh, it's about 2020 and, and beyond, which obviously was, was ahead of us at that, uh, okay. at that time. And so we ended up calling it 20 for 20 and, um, yeah, it was, it was born. I, I, I love it. Yeah. I, I recall, I can take myself back to that moment in time, sitting at a high top table. You had your laptop in front of you. I was super intimidated because it was the first time I met you and you and Don, you and Don are like legends in the, in the industry. And so it was, uh, but it was, it was quite awesome in the, in the finished product was quite awesome as well. So, um, so why don't we just dive right in uh, this fourth installment of 20 for 20 uh, certainly yielded some interesting uh, feedback. I certainly, set in the last two years of, of the pandemic, uh, certainly at least in my head and what I've read, influenced the, the document in some ways, or it influenced the people who were giving you the feedback uh, in some ways. Mm-hmm. Um, so do you want to talk about, say, a look back to 2021 and some of the discoveries you made uh, in the document or from the people who uh, gave you the stories for the document? Yeah, I mean, the, so, so a few... Uh... The, the, there's a few different things that, that, that were sort of different about the way we approached it this year. So, so when we sat down, when we published a year ago, the, um, the, the paper that was, that was predominantly about 2020, looking forward to, to 2021, obviously that was predominantly about the um, pandemic, right? And, and so that, that was the big story of, the, um, uh, of that paper. Um, this year, we took the perspective that the pandemic is largely in the rear view mirror. And what we're really interested in knowing is of the stuff that people were talking about one year one year ago. What 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 stuck around and what um, uh, you know and, and, and what what changed, what went back to normal, um, and so on. So uh, you could you could tell that um, you know what, I'm, I'm just thinking one year ago we were talking about things like uh, we we were talking about the way that the industry had 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 to adopt self show really quickly. Like we've been talking ever since we started Sony for twenty, we've been talking about how the industry feels like it's slow to adopt um, self-show generally, uh, but then everybody had to do it, right? And, and the, the interesting thing was that everybody did it in this very low-tech environment. 100% of the people that we spoke to had figured out self-show, 0% of them had felt the need to roll out a technology to, to do it, uh, which, which was super interesting. It was this, this sort of key on a stick kind of approach to, yeah. to self-show was, was, was the prevailing thing. But then what was interesting was that several of the people we spoke to, and again, I'm talking not about the most recent paper, but a year ago, uh, 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 and for reasons that will become apparent, um, but people told us that through the summer, uh, having been doing 100% self-show, uh, people started to opt for um, agent company tours. When, when offered the choice, people started picking agent tours. And the question that we asked a year ago was, okay, is this a reaction to this prolonged lockdown? People generally were looking for person-to-person communications, uh, or is this sort of back to back to normal? Uh, and, the, and the thing that's interesting in this current issue, when we talk about that thing uh, specifically about, about self-show, um, <clears throat> you find that most companies... Uh, when they went uh, when they went back to offering uh, both options have almost entirely well have majority gone back to exactly the way it was before the pandemic started and so you've got this sort of evolving view of it like g- generally if you give people a self-serve option to do something they never go back to the 
you know, to the non-self-serve version of it, right? Uh, and so that's not been the case in, in multifamily. Um, and, and, and it's interesting as well, like the, when, when we ask people about it, it's, all right, is that biased because they're talking to a leasing agent who invites them in for an in-person tour? Is that, you know, and, and most of the leaders we spoke to were strongly of the view that that was just people's preference. Like there is, there is just this role for this in-person um, experience coming to a, a property. And it, even the ones who are testing, you know, um, self-show technology, they seem a little bit more apt to view it, at least right now, as the thing that you do for the return tour rather than the thing that you do for the tour that sort of makes your your mind up on, on whether or not you're going to live somewhere. Um, so, yeah, you, you th- that's something that sort of changed year over year. That's that's not particularly how, how I um, expected it to go. Um, but it's very clear that this and generally the leasing process it is attracting the highest degree of attention of all of the uh, operational initiatives that they're on show at the moment. And is it, so is it fair, I'm going to really date myself here and it's not because I'm super, super old. It's just because I read a book that was super old, <laughs> but, yeah. but that sort of self-serve thing, like way back in the day when McDonald's became a restaurant, you actually had the servers come out and put your tray on your table and they would actually clean the table off for you. But at some point, they discovered that people would actually take their tray to the trash can. And after that moment in time, they probably would not have gone back to somebody doing this whole cleanup routine or delivery and cleanup routine in that type of a fast food environment in fast mm-hmm. forward today. Yeah. So it's, it's akin to that, right? That the thought was people would just stay with this new way of finding an apartment or discovering yeah. permission. Yeah. Who would, who would go back to using travel agents and having to walk up to check in at the airport over the way it works now? Not me. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. Not me for sure. So, that being said, so looking back over the course of uh, there, there was another thing that came to mind for me as you were talking through that self show scenario, and if I I sort of commingle that with the the labor shortage that we are seeing in our it's it's not just our industry it's across industries. Uh, and certainly wage inflation, which is a whole other sidebar conversation we don't need to get into. But my imagination tells me that companies look at this kind of technology with leasing uh, as, a, as a way to sort of a supplement, or is that is that labor shortage somehow impacting? Yeah, no. So, so there are definitely cases where people have rolled out things like AI leasing, for example, sooner than they expected to yeah I, I i can think of one example where, where where one cio was telling me there are literally properties where we cannot find um leasing agents at the moment so we we, we simply had to do it because we, we we couldn't figure out another way to um you know to solve this this problem for this uh, for this property so so i mean now that's a marginal case but it's uh it's it's definitely the case i mean a big part of the conclusions of this year's book is about the um uh, is about the way that people are thinking about um, changing staffing models. You know, we've been interested, um, uh, you know, we've written on, uh, D2 has written uh, extensively about the one to 100 ratio and and, and what, are, what are some of the obstacles in the way of, uh, of changing it. And, uh, and, and, and it's definitely the case that, that more and more companies are trying to figure out different ways to staff. Some of it's simply because you've got technology solutions that are ultimately better than, than the traditional ways that we've uh, that we've done things, um, and that and that, that that opens up a whole interesting sort of set of conversations about 
how we think about the roles that we have in uh, in, in, in property management, right? So uh, you could very pragmatically look at it from the perspective of, look, we don't know if we're going to be able to to staff these roles, so let's figure out a way to not be exposed to that, um, you know, to you know, to that risk. That, um, and that's definitely a driver in the way that some people think about um, how technology can change their staffing model. <clears throat> but there's also people that are taking this quite broad view of, of things like, all right, well, how does how does career progression work in in in, in property management, right? So, mm-hmm. yeah, we've got these. Uh, you know, if, if you were designing this this industry from scratch, would you definitely do it this way, right? You've got a model that's primarily based on. On coverage, right? So, uh, so, so in a in a world where people increasingly expect to be able to talk to somebody at you know, ten o'clock at night or come and tour on a on a Sunday morning or what, what, whatever whatever it is, uh, this this coverage model just just doesn't fit particularly well with the with the job we're asking people to do. You've then got things like um, uh, we take we we tend to promote leasing people into assistant property managers, for example. Well, these are people who have no exposure to or experience of bookkeeping who are now being put into a role where that's quite central to the job. It's, uh, you know, is that really a, a sort of logical career progression for somebody and as and a satis- a satisfactory a job as it, as it could be? Or is there a role to, to let technology allow greater specialization there and ultimately improve people's jobs? That, that's the, the, the kind of the, 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 the bigger picture stuff that, that, that people have shared with us uh, as we've uh, gone through these conversations. You know, it's, it's, uh, it's interesting. As you probably well know at Radco, we uh, started down this road uh, and we we thought about it from the perspective, and it, it dovetails right into what you just said. We we thought, well, we're going to take the assistant manager's role, and this is not novel. This is this is stuff that companies have have done and have did a long time ago. But sort of centralizing a lot of the assistant manager's roles and responsibilities, especially the rote and routine work, with the idea that at some point a lot of that work would get automated. So. In, in that sort of traditional track from a leasing consultant being promoted into a system management position, we're in the process of wiping that out completely. So there's even, how do you get a, a leasing consultant into a property manager role without this thing that existed at some point and, and doesn't, at least in our, but, but even then you're, I think I read in one of your papers, this is not my novel thought. Uh, there's this effort to, to sort of centralize the, the leasing processes even Mm-hmm. And especially where you've got close properties in close proximity, you can sort of run this, I call it hub and spoke, but I'm sure that's, I don't know if that's the right analogy to use, but you have these, that, that kind of centralized effort. Yeah, no, it's, uh, it, it's true. We, we talk about this um, a lot because um, I think for me, uh, the, the thing I love about this process is you, you do a lot of work preparing for these interviews. So we, we have... I have a separate group of people. For, you know, there are twenty interviewees, and we change them every you know half of them every year. Um, there's a separate group of people who aren't the interviewees who we pre, we, we get to uh, to use as sounding boards on the questions we plan to ask. So we we change the questions each year. So you go into the the interview with a pretty good idea of what's top of mind in the industry, and the questions are usually about that. And the thing I love about it is you always end up not thinking the same things after that you, that you did before. And one of them, the, the centralization thing, the hub, hub and spoke um, uh, idea is, is, is a very appropriate one here. Because if, 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 when we think about centralization, uh, uh, the, the question we really wanted to ask people 
was, are you actively working on this? Like, are you actually work, actively working on, on changing your staffing model or using technology to change your staffing model? And we, we had this idea in mind that if you think about the people who are being the most public about having changed their model, so UDR and um, Avalon Bay uh, are very vocal in terms of how they've changed their uh, their staffing models. Like, so so logically, if, if they've accomplished these things that they've been talking about and there's some continuum of where we are where everybody is today to to where these guys say they are and everyone's somewhere along that continuum that was that was the idea that we had so, so we, we were asking a question to figure out how far uh, everybody is along that that continuum and the finding having spoken to people is there is no continuum like it you it's a it's this sort of apples and oranges um, comparison. There are there are lots of factors that, that weigh in how people centralize. But the thing that you you, you mentioned with proximity, yeah, the, the the two things that really determine how you would approach centralizing something like leasing are: to what extent do I control my operating environment? You know, what do I decide what technologies go in my properties? Do I control the staff, etc., cetera, etc.? Cetera? And then how close together my properties are. Uh, and so if I think about that, the hub and spoke model works really well. If, if, if we're saying that, you know, you're, you're, you've got a sales hub and it's, it's selling for all these, all these different properties, um, that requires, you know, if, if you're a fee manager, for example, and each one of those spokes represents a different financial interest, uh, you you can't make the decision to change that model. You have to you have to you have to sell it one spoke at a time to to the uh, to your to your financial partners, which means your your progress towards uh, centralization is nothing like the same as like a REITs would be. Um, but but if I you know if I can if I control that picture the way that lots of owner operators and particularly REITs do, um, and also if I have properties that are close enough together, that means a I can share potentially maintenance and, and leasing resources between properties, which you know, means I can use technologies to get to get rid of as, as much of the busy work as I can from a leasing agent so that you can have fewer and more skilled leasing agents whose job it is to close leases. That's so, cool. so that's a, a better and, and ultimately better paying job. For uh, you know, for your rockstar leasing agents, right in that in that environment, and the the other thing that's that's fascinating, I hadn't thought about this before the conversations, but uh, um, if you look at the, the other thing with proximity is that it's far more attractive to do things like form a central hub for for leasing sales mm-hmm. um, if you can train somebody to sell lots of properties within uh, a submarket because you've got you've got lots of units to sell and it's worth training somebody to really understand how to sell Buckhead or you know, some, 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 some sub-market. If I only have one property in each market, the payback on that is not the same. That's right. So, yeah, the, the, the hub and spoke thing, uh, it, 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 the flavor is different depending on how close together your properties are and, um, uh, and how you control your, your business. That makes total sense. And for all of you introverts out there that wouldn't pick up the phone and call to, to see what UDR or EQR or those companies are doing, you can... I, I read the the quarterly reports and the annual reports from those companies, and many times you can pick those nuggets right out of those. They're very long yeah. papers, but but they're very public about it. Yeah, and they're very uh, very true. Yep, that's right. Um, 
You so I, I'm reading a page out of what I'd call the executive summary. We focused on four ops technology priorities, and you broke them down as leasing tech, which I think we did a fair amount of discussion as it relates to that, except for the CRM piece of that. If you wanted to make mention of it, uh, data analytics, resident fintech, and IoT connectivity. I think this is looking forward into 2022. Is that right? These are the four areas that people are focused on. Yeah, yeah, it, it, it is mostly that. Well, I mean, it's it's that inflection point of, you know, it's the stuff that's in train right now. There's a natural skew towards what you're focusing on for 2022. Um, yeah, so I, I, I think that's 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 mostly true. But the nature of projects is that they straddle. Uh, they straddle. Yes, yeah, it's, it's always cool. like a it's always a snapshot in time whenever we uh, whenever we do it. Um, yeah, so, so that was, again, that was different this year. We've historically we've gone through looking at sort of app area, like areas one one by one, and, and this year we decided there, there are a few things that were missing um, from from what we'd looked at previously. We'd never really looked at resident fintech, uh, and it's clear there's just an explosion of, of innovation going on in that area um, right now. So we wanted to bring that into the fold for the first time, uh, and also. You know, there's some degree of convergence between um, IoT and managed internet. Like you can tell that's becoming a bigger and bigger deal. So we wanted to broaden the discussion about um, uh, about uh, smart building like IoT uh, a little more than we than we historically had. So yeah, we, we we came up with four those four areas, uh, which interestingly gave us i mean we asked people to force rank them like right? one to four which is the highest priority for you uh and that in and of itself created a couple of um uh, of quite interesting findings in my opinion definitely share those <laughs> okay all right so, so 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 the things the things that stood out were the so leasing tech by which we mean crm um self-show digital leasing agents, just, just anything to do with, um, with, with leasing apartments. Um, that and data analytics were the highest priority things. They were very clearly the highest priority things when you talk to this audience of COOs uh, and technology leaders. Um, now, that's interesting because, you know, people talk glowingly about the, the fintech projects that they rolled out during the course of the year. You can sort of tell they're quite easy to do those projects. You can you can tell that people love them. They get the uh, the value that they add, and they're doing a lot of it. Um, but you also you can also tell that this feels like a relatively low friction, low risk. Um, you know, one, one leader put it really well when they said that um, you know, those fintech providers are doing a good job of making stuff be their problem and not the property management companies. So, so you can, you can sort of tell, uh, although there's so much going on in that area, it's not keeping people awake at night. Um, IoT is very interesting because, uh, you know, it's an expensive technology. Um, it's, uh, it involves installing physical stuff in properties, which carries its own sort of risk profile. Uh, and yet it didn't attract anything like as high of a priority from this particular audience than, than the other two things did. I can, I, I have a, I have a theory on, on, on why that is, but uh, we can come, we can come back to that. But on um, leasing tech, I, look, I don't, I don't think there's any surprise that uh, leasing tech attracts such a high priority because it's, um, it's the thing that got disrupted the most over the last 18 months. And it's the, it's sort of the area where people have been exposed to the most new ways of doing things. 
So almost everybody is is trying to sort of reinvent something or, or all of their their leasing process um, uh, at the at the moment, which is why I think it's uh, it, it got such a high uh, priority. At the data analytics, I'm really um, really encouraged by uh, you know I didn't didn't really expect that to be such a high priority uh, as it is, but obviously we really uh, you know we have strong <laughs> we have pretty strong priors on that, but we 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 really applaud. Uh, that as a high uh, priority, and in, and in particular, it was the only area where there was a uh, you know, there was a big difference between the operational and the IT views of the world. Like it's very clearly a big priority for for COOs, slightly lower priority for for, for CIOs. But again, I view that positively because nothing nothing compromises a BI project like inadequate operational um, leadership. <laughs> True, Stephen. <laughs> So, so maybe there's, it, it, it uh, came to mind as you were, you were talking there, maybe there's a two-year lag for IoT because I, I recall when we were speaking for the first uh, version of 20 for 20, I think that AI leasing, uh, I think there's a, a loose use of the word AI in that, that sort of statement, but the, uh, that was just becoming a thing uh, the first, right, first edition of 2420, that was just becoming a thing. I think that's the thing you and I spoke about it at that time. Um, but here we are two to three years removed from that point in time. And it's like, it's everyone's mass adopting, right? And maybe IoT is yeah, the same. That, that, that is, um, that, for me, that's the biggest, uh, that was the biggest thing about um, leasing tech. Because I, it's it's a really big deal that that very mature, high profile companies are moving onto best of breed CRM platforms. That, that, that's a really big deal because what that tells you is that, that there are there are changes that people are trying to make that, uh, that that are creating these technology requirements that that legacy providers just can't provide for for, for these companies that need it because it, it's a big deal. Like changing my completely changing my CRM on you know a sixty thousand unit portfolio that's been using the same system for ages. That's not a, a decision you take lightly um but but people are, are making that move which means that the the extent of the stuff that they're trying to change is is, is big enough that, that, that they have to do it so but the reason why that's not the main finding uh, as far as i'm concerned is because it that the, the same thing was going on last year we, we we made that observation last year and it's sort of more of the same this year what is new though is how quickly people are adopting ai leasing i i i watched your um uh, I, I, I watched your, uh, your your show about um, about bots uh, uh, recently, I, yep. uh, I, uh, which I really enjoyed. Um, it, it, it's interesting. There is also there, there's also quite a clear delineation between what we mean when we say an AI leasing agent and a bot. Like yes. bots are primarily marketing tools, right? They're they're there for to help you generate leads. They're there to provide instant answers to stuff that's on your website. It's a good UX thing because it means I'm not asking someone to scroll past and, and find information. I can just ask the question and the bot delivers it. Uh, it's it's this very very early stage, quick way of, of serving up like marketing content to, to people. Um, AI leasing agents are very much an operational tool. Like their job is to do something that lies squarely in the domain of um, of operations. So I view those things as quite separate, um, quite separate technologies. Uh, and so the thing that we're talking about that's in mass adoption again is something you, you were a long way ahead of the curve with this. I remember when we sat down at the, uh, during that interview and you were telling me about your complete rollout of um, 
uh, of AI leasing. I was like, wow, I, <laughs> I, 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 I had only just become aware of this technology and, and I'm talking to somebody who's, who's done with, <laughs> with testing it and, uh, uh, and rolling it out. That was, uh, yeah, that was impressive. Um, I mean, I think the following year we, we predicted this, this is going to go big, right? It's, uh, I think in, 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 2019, we interviewed out of 20 people, there were two people who, who had rolled them out, one of whom was you. Um, and we, we predicted like th this, this has to become a really big deal, like really soon, because, you know, it's, it's quite easy to implement. It's, uh, it's obvious what it does. It's, um, you know, there's, there's now several like strong proof points. There's viable vendors here. We just can't see what, what's going to stop this from taking the industry by storm. Didn't happen quite the way we thought it would in 2020, um, because I suspect other leasing priorities <laughs> suddenly uh, emerged that maybe put that on a back burner. But yeah, as we as we say in the paper, it seems very clear to us that this is a technology whose whose time has come. Like nearly half of the, I think nine out of the 20 companies have either implemented it or or are in the process of of, of an implement full implementation of that that technology. Um, only a quarter of people were not doing it. The rest were, were sort of looking or piloting. Um, so, so yeah, really, really, really big um, deal. Uh, that, that's the biggest story for me in, um, uh, in leasing. Um, curiously, although lots of people are doing it, there is no real consensus on what it's for. Um, so you, 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 again, when you, when you delve into people, you know, what are you trying to accomplish with this technology? You get a variety on... You know, on, on one end of the scale, you'll get this this capability is the prime mover in in our uh, in our, that has enabled us to change our staffing model. Right, you get the, the absolute sort of we we are employing fewer leasing agents because we we have this technology. The other end of the scale, you'll get we're not touching our star, uh, our staffing model. This is to take work off our site teams' plates and. Uh, and benefit conversions and make sure we don't lose lose leads. Uh, in the middle, you've got you've got some really interesting views. Like, it, I mean, it's a customer experience benefit because it, it means we're we're twenty four seven um, uh, available uh, for our for our customers. But also, we we now know that you know this this AI is is sometimes handling like hundreds of inquiries at the same time. But it's numbers where. We know we couldn't staff for those spikes uh, at all, but it, again, those are things that they didn't know before they implemented it. It's uh, it's after they implemented that they found this stuff out. So it's 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 got that sort of classic sort of rapid adoption phase where you know uh, it, it, it's sort of okay to, to wade into this without being entirely sure what it's going to do for your business. <clears throat> you know that's interesting. It, uh, so I'm going to ask you this question uh it comes out of the paper but and i won't you get the punchline right uh <laughs> it's uh oh where is this forgive me uh, oh here it is okay okay i'm gonna ask you a question you know the answer to this so you get the punchline how, how do companies measure tech roi <laughs> they don't they don't <laughs> so tell, tell us about that i i found that to be super interesting all right, I'm, I'm going to tell you. I'm going to tell you a little story um, uh, that, that was that, that was part of my motivation for making ROI be a big part of this year's conversation. Um, I was with a client um, uh, earlier this year. 
who has a wonderful, wonderful um, advisory board. They put together a really, a real sort of who's who list of, of senior industry people. Um, and uh, on this call, we were going through um, an outline presentation of uh, some new software release or something that they, that they were doing. And in this presentation that we walked through with this advisory group um, were some relatively modest ROI projections of you know, what, what, what you can expect, you know, what, how many dollars you can expect to generate if you, uh, uh, if you, you adopt this, project, uh, this product. And the thing was, their response when we asked for feedback was so visceral, right? It wasn't that they weren't persuaded by the ROI numbers. It's that they hated that the, anybody brought them up. Like, because, and, and the thing, the, the sort of 180 it did in my mind, because you know, that kind of feedback is precious, right? You, 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 you very seldom see what's in the thought bubble when you're talking, when you're talking to a, you know, if you're in sales and you're talking to a prospect, but it like the, the, the fact that it sort of rubbed people up the wrong way, because there's, it's like, there's this idea that I don't know this about my business, so there's no way you do. <laughs> so, yeah. so I don't care what you did in your spreadsheet. Like I'm, I'm insulted that you even, that, that was the kind of, um, of reaction that we got to there. So, so we, you know, we asked these questions about how do you decide how many dollars you spend on this technology? And, and, and it, has, it has nothing to do with us coming up with some number that we, of NOI that we think we're going to hear. It's a very, very persistent fallacy that, um, that uh, software vendors have that you know, they view, uh, they view an, uh, ROI as a number. Uh, and people buying software view ROI uh, as an idea or a rationale or, or, or something that either coheres or doesn't cohere to, to something that I know about my business. Mm-hmm. But the one thing that ROI isn't in the eyes of somebody who's buying software is a is a number that, that's going to persuade me to uh, to buy your product. I, I mean, a good good example is that the, the people who are the most disciplined about this, like public REITs and, and companies that, that kind of operate, try, try and operate like public REITs, will often do ROI measurement. But it, it always follows this form where we piloted this thing for six or eight months. We chose some success metrics, we measured them, and then we made our decision about the full um, implementation. Well, what that tells you is that long before anyone analyzed or measured anything, these, these companies had all decided what they wanted to do and what companies they were going to do them with. So there's no sort of causality in, in the ROI uh, in terms of how, how they chose to, um, you know, to, to, to do the project. Um, so that so that was uh, that that was super interesting, and, and the thing that I I really enjoyed listening to was uh, when people explain how they go through the decision. Um, they start telling you things about what they know makes their business more successful, right? So they, they you hear things like you know I when I look at leasing tech, I, I'm trying to do the projects that I believe will push demand to the highest converting channel. Right now, I can't tell you how much demand or, or how much more conversion or, or what rent we'll get on those. Conver- I can't tell you any of those things, but I, I, I just know that if I can achieve this thing of always pushing demand to the highest conversion channel and I don't blow up my IT costs, um, then I know that's a good rationale for, for, for justifying projects. So that, that, that's much more consistent with the way that people actually think about ROI in this, this industry. 
it, it, it seems like, especially as it relates to new and emerging technologies, it's, it, there's sort of this bleeding edge. And I use the word bleeding on purpose in the sense that it, that, that gut or that intuitive sense that something is going to create an impact, whether it be a math problem and or a consumer experience that does lead to a higher conversion or better uh, ratings on, on websites, things of that nature, or, or uh, consumer reviews. It, you you have to be willing to put yourself out there based on that intuition, right? Or that that just sort of gut sense that something is is just it's just going to work because it is going to work. And two years removed from now, I'm going to be able to give you the math behind it. <laughs> yeah, well, exactly, exactly. It's, it's kind of like that really gregarious uh, team member in your office who may drive everyone crazy because they can't do paperwork, but they're there's an intrinsic value about that person, the way they interact with your consumers that keep them around and, re and renewing every year, right? You can't really put math to that gregarious personality, but you just know right. it works. <laughs> yeah. So. No, and it, it's, it's true. And uh, I mean, I, mean I, I suspect a lot of this comes from like a lot of best in class um, software companies, for example, they, they sell into industries where it absolutely is about the X percent you can deliver. If you're selling supply chain software, the conversation is entirely about how many fewer miles your fleet can travel or how much you can reduce your inventory by or that, that, that there, there are, there's a time and a place for, for, for that stuff for sure. Real estate is not it. <laughs> <laughs> that, that's exactly yeah. right. <laughs> um, let's see if, is there anything I missed in, I mean, I want people to read this thing and, and I want to, if they haven't read the first three installments of, of this, uh, we'll link them all up or, you know, before we get off here today, give give you an opportunity to tell people where they can find it. But anything else that really struck you uh, about this installment of, of 20 for 20? There's, and I want to maybe end cap by a, uh, maybe some curiosity I have around IoT, but anything that struck you before we get into a little bit of an IoT discussion? <laughs> uh, I was actually going to go there when you, when you talked about that. All right, so there's a prelude to an IoT discussion because it's, it's, it's relevant for this. Um, the general thing, so we, we talked about that prioritization, which, which again was, was just a little thing that we threw into the conversation that, that ended up being really instructive when you reviewed the, um, the answers. Uh, we talked about the two things that were the highest priority, data analytics and, um, uh, and, and leasing tech. Uh, resident FinTech, we, yeah, we, we talked about that, that that's this relatively easy thing to buy, um, which means that it's, you know, it's, it's not weighing as heavily on people's uh, uh, attention. Uh, IoT, um, uh, you, you know, higher priority than FinTech, but not as high as the other two. Uh, we can talk in, in a bit more detail about IoT in a second, but the, the big finding with both fintech and IoT, I think, is that as the amount of technology uh, that's at play in multifamily grows, you know, if you think about it, like IoT is added to all the other stuff we were already doing, resident fintech is added to all the stuff. You know, so, so the, the, just the overall amount of technology that there is that we're that we're using in multifamily just keeps getting bigger and bigger and bigger. Um, the one thing that I think is changing is that the um, the decision the the pool of decision makers is growing. Like people who we don't normally think of as technology decision makers look to me like they're now making decisions that directly affect um, technology. Like a, a couple of the uh, the CIOs that we uh, that we interviewed were were saying one of the biggest changes they're seeing at the moment is that 
there are more than more, there are more and more people outside of the organisation, like non-technology resources, who are directly involved in um, in technology technology delivery. Uh, what I observe from the priority thing is is that the number of unconventional decision makers involved in technology decisions is is uh, uh, is growing. Um, if I think about so, if, just just to sort of segue into IoT uh, in particular. Um, here's what I think. Here's, here's what I think is. In, let, let me use IoT as an example of what I uh, of what I mean. Um, when you, the way that you sell technology to multifamily companies is, you're looking for the person in your seat, and you're looking for the head of technology, right? So it's the CRO and the head of te- technology is the the center of the bullseye if you're selling um, uh, a technology. That, by the way, is is why those are the only roles that we include in, in 2020, because they're the ones that make most of the decisions about you know how operations and technology is changing. Um, and those are very much the traditional decision makers about, about technology. And when it comes to IoT, those people are typically heavily involved in deciding which technologies we want, we want to support deciding how they're going to work from an operational perspective, deciding how they're going to be integrated into our um, platform. Uh, But once those decisions have been made, the the decision that incurs the cost is made on a property-by-property basis, and it's made on the basis of underwriting. So it's like the decision starts like a traditional technology decision, but it comes a decision that's far more like buying appliances to put in units after that you've got like some asset manager or somebody who's deciding what capital is going to be invested in the units in this property and that's the person who's who's ultimately making this decision that bites off this really big technology cost that gets added um, into the uh, into your overall technology spend and there are there are all sorts of interesting things that the industry has to has to sort of deal with when you think about that because not every you know, access control system is the same, right? Some of them, like if you've got a two vendor uh, system uh, for for building access and unit access control, um, that has very different overhead associated with it. Like irrespective of if it costs a bit less on a, on a unit by unit basis and, and makes the deal pencil out a bit better, uh, it might mean that you've incurred now the overhead of managing two vendors and having to train people in how to use these two systems and having to support two different systems and having your property staff have to deal with two different... All, all of these things are operational and technology-like uh, uh, challenges that the person who's ultimately making the decision, it, it's not their job to worry about that stuff, right? It's their job to worry about the economics and the financial performance of this this, this, this specific building. So there is this potential to, to, for, for you know, decisions to be made by non technology decision makers to start driving up like technology costs in um, in companies that that's an that by the way is what i think is behind you know iot not being as top of mind for for the cio and coos um because ultimately somebody else is making a decision and it's being made on on different um uh, on a different basis from the ones that we normally use for for for, for technology decisions do, do you think um do you think I'm trying to think of the right way to ask this question so that it doesn't sound like a crass remark. <laughs> it's uh, Do you think the introduction of venture capital into our space in what, what really feels like or seems like at times uh, kingmakers, um, 
and and certainly some of those in making those those kings you're you're being influenced by some of the big players uh big real estate portfolio owners does that sort of impact the way iot sits in the in the sort of if you're stack ranking all these things iot sits down here in part because uh, venture capital has made its way into to say prop tech you you get um can't remember the name of the one. John, John Helms Group comes in. He has ten. Yeah, RT. Yeah, that that exactly. Does I'm, that? I, I, I'm sure it. I'm sure it greases the wheels on them uh, on adoption, right? So yeah, uh, you know, for, like, like if you when especially when the technology was was new, the idea that you've you've a got a more compelling economic model if you're an LP of the VC that's investing in technology, and and also. You've got this community of, of early adopters to caucus with and to understand the um, you know, the investment decision. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm, I mean, I, I don't think that's the reason why people are adopting this, but I do think that made this move a lot, uh, a lot, a lot faster, which I guess means that that, that the VC is doing its job, right? <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> do, do you think it pushes IoT down the the list? Uh, so when I think of IoT, uh, I mean, obviously that's a pretty broad set of technologies, or it's a, a fairly broad. But the, the one that comes to mind for me that that's interesting is uh, calling them sensors or tags. I'm thinking of leak detection technology specifically, or even HVAC uh, technology or uh, mechanics like appliances in in uh, units or in-unit mechanics that have these sort of early warning, hey, my refrigerator compressor is drawing an abnormal amount of amperage out of the electricity, so maybe there's something going wrong with the refrigerator, and the IoT communicates with the brain in the apartment that sends out a service tech before anyone in the unit even knows there's a problem coming. That And that type of technology isn't all that expensive right that the actual sensor itself is not expensive yeah no, no I, I so, so i uh, i can't remember if, if this is in the, the book or not but it, it's very strongly my view that we we don't know we don't know the universe of stuff that we're going to use iot for at all in, in multifamily right now so so the the companies that have been really successful like if you think of, of, of someone like smart ren um you know, lucas Founded that company to take this consumer technology set and turn it into into an enterprise solution, right? Which is a great uh, a great model. But again, it's it's sort of predicated on you know this mostly being about sort of consumer devices with a little bit of you know leak detection and that kind of thing um, thrown in. Like if you think about maintenance, where you know I I, I saw somebody who's not I don't think is active in multifamily yet, but. but had invented this this sensor that could that could pick up you know any number of signals about moisture and noise and right it just just and, and, and then you see that's a very different problem because what you're what you're doing is is just sending constantly sending like vast amounts of uh, of data because these things just keep sending signals you have, you have many of them in a building you use AI to figure out what's relevant from from this colossal amount of data that's being sent. But by the way, if you think about most of the IoT stuff, it's using sort of Zigbee or, or, or Z-Wave chips like technology. You, you look at that and you sort of think, well, what, 
well, not every that that's not going to accommodate every application of, of IoT stuff, right? If I'm sending huge amounts of longitudinal data across the um, the internet, that's too much for for the for the stuff that we're using to unlock our doors um, at the moment. So, so yeah, I I, I, I suspect um, if we looked five years from now, the whole thing would look very very different, and the you know, what is knowable about about IoT would have expanded. One last thing, actually, on the BI thing, uh, one of the most interesting things that I heard from um, from some of the more mature BI users was, was that some of the problems they're really working on right now are, are what do we do with all this new data? Like, what do we what do we do with with um, access control data? Like, there's tons of it. Uh, it must be able to tell us stuff about how people are using our buildings. Like, what can we what can we correlate with with performance? data that we already have that, that, that's going to tell us something new and actionable about our business, like ditto, AI leasing, the, you know, these, the, the, we've got these huge data volumes, what, what, what can we do with them to, you know, to, to add some value to our business? That, that, that's another like, big thing that, we, um, uh, that, that I was quite curious about. Yeah, it was, it was interesting. I, right before we hopped on here, I was just scrolling through uh, LinkedIn and I saw an article, I haven't had the chance to read it, but it, it literally was... Uh, or at least the headline, <laughs> the headline tells me that the article was about all of this data that we're harvesting out of the service side of our business or, or the maintenance side of our business through these sensors and IoT. And to your point, it's, we're just now at a point, I'm imagining the article is talking about how we harvest uh, actionable business, uh, you know, things out, out of that. Yeah, you, I can, I can tell, I could tell from a couple of conversations that there are, uh... Uh, you know, I mean, development decisions, right? Uh, if we, right. we we know all this information about how people are using our buildings because of the door information, I can tell a few leaders have have a few amenities in their crosshairs now. <laughs> 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 they've, been, they've been they've been itching for a data point uh, on, on on that golf simulator for. Uh, <laughs> I've been for, telling you for, for years. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I love it. Uh, well, Dom, we're we're coming up on uh, about an hour. I, I could I could talk to you all day, and I, <laughs> you know what, this is. I, I would love to have you back at some point, uh, whether this is part of a twenty for twenty or not. But my imagination tells me that you're you're starting to think about Web three or the metaverse and how you can sort of create these digital clones of of real life buildings in the metaverse and how how uh, you could probably run simulations of potential like you take this data and before you make it a decision you can run it through the simulation in a web3 environment in, in a metaverse and and that would be a part of a decision making process that uh that you go through before you actually spend money on on technology in the future yeah well i mean i i, I was talking actually to a a a a, a senior leader of a of a large organization yesterday and we, we were talking about um uh, how how sort of little progress we've we've really made on, I mean, little progress relative to what can ultimately be accomplished in terms of virtualizing the leasing process. You know, we think about you know doing things like self show, but uh, there are so many high involvement purchases that we make sight unseen now. Like it, right. it it just doesn't quite seem like we've 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 settled on on the right way of. Technology enabling um, leasing. I, I'll tell you. I'll tell you something else. I walked through. I was walking through a property um, uh, here in Houston uh, with a with an operator 
Um, and one thing that stood out to me, they were doing um, self-show, but they were doing self-show with a third-party provider. And the thing I, I hadn't really thought about that just shocked me about this was just how much collateral there is all over the walls of this property for the for the tour provider. And you know, you, you sort of walk, and I'm and, and I'm just walking around thinking, do do I like this if I'm a if I'm a resident? Like when I go to the pool and I've got a big sign saying, "Check out our pool deck, scan the QR code." I mean, do, do I like that in the building that that that's my home? I, and so I, I look at that and I think, that, yeah, this. That this doesn't look like the long-term right answer. If you, if you could virtualize that and, and have those stickers like in the metaverse uh, when I'm doing a, vir- a really good virtual tour, that, that feels like it'd be, it'd be a much better way to, to do that. Or even if I, I could experience that while I'm walking past the property so everyone else doesn't have to look at it, that would, uh, <laughs> that yeah. would be a better, better solution for me. <clears throat> yeah, yeah, I think so. And it, you know, it, even in the sort of those proximity sensors that, you know, you're walking through a museum anymore and you're wearing well you have an earbud in and you get near a piece of art the earbud yeah. right so, so something similar to that in that touring experience and or even if you're a resident at the pool and you need you need some sort of information you know instead of having to point your phone at a wall you could maybe even speak you tell me about whatever yeah. It, it just yeah, it's, it's, it, it's interesting like in, in single family I, I i know it's worked really well i mean they were way ahead on, on self-show and I, and I know that these you know putting these decals on on walls to point to, to stuff is great in a in a single family home i don't think it's great in, in, a, in the communal areas of a building with 300 homes in it yeah yeah I, it's, it's, it's also like you know making it so making it so evident that this stuff is all about the people who don't live here now. It's about the people who are coming to look at it. Like it, it just, I don't know, there's a bit of a, uh, there's a bit of dissonance about that, that I, 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 I don't particularly like, I have to say. <clears throat> I, I love that. Uh, I love dissonance. That's a, uh, I love that term. Anyway, <laughs> it, uh, I think you're right. It's, um, it's, if you're thinking about, a consumer making a buying decision and or somebody that's making a renewal decision, every single thing on your property, it registers as, as a piece of data for a buying decision, right? Or a renewing decision. Mm-hmm. And 99 times out of a hundred, that consumer is not going to walk you through everything that registers to them. It's just like the piece of trash in the parking lot. When you're walking to look at a unit, mm-hmm. the, the prospect's never going to say anything about that piece of trash. They, they probably won't even think about it themselves, but sort of deeply, it's going to imbue in their mind and it's going to be part of that buying decision. It's that kind of like, you know, I didn't really feel good about that apartment. I can't tell you why. Well, it was because there was trash on the parking lot or on the sidewalk on your way. Right. Mm -hmm. So those sorts of things, I, I, I a hundred percent get where you're going with that. And I agree with it. I don't want to see all that stuff when I'm living there. It's just, (laughs) (laughs) so well, Dom, uh, tell us where people can find this. I'm going to link it up in the show notes, but tell yeah. them where they could go if they want to go right well, now. Well, well 20, 20 for 20 is now on its own website. We, uh, uh, we decided it's got a big enough following now that we, um, we decided it, it, it needs to, to, to sort of develop its own identity a bit more. So we, uh, we've moved it off, uh, off the, D, the D, you can still access it from the D2 site, but the best place to go is just 20 for 20.com. So two zero F L R two zero. 20 for 20.com and you'll, you'll see it's all over the site. How you, um, uh, how you download it. 
Perfect. And if somebody wanted to reach out to you directly, Dom, where would they uh, where would they find you? So uh, you can uh, 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 go to the website uh, and the, the contact will get through to me. Also, find me on Twitter. It's at Dom Beveridge. Um, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm pretty active on there as well. True statement. <laughs> All right, Dom. Well, it, it is always a pleasure. I know we, we met up down at, in MHC earlier this year. That was absolutely a pleasure to spend time with you in person. Yeah. Uh, but every time I talk away, uh, talk with you, rather, I walk away with good nuggets of information that I employ in my life and in my business. So thank you very much for taking the time today. Yeah, no, thanks. And, and, and thanks for doing the show. I really, uh, I, I, I really enjoy it. Uh, the ones that I'm not a guest on as well. <laughs> <laughs> thank you for that. that. That means a lot to me. I really appreciate that. All right, Dom, uh, thank you so much. And for everyone else, we'll see you next time. Bye now. Thank you.